Hello, and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 67. After a month off, we're back. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hello! Today we'll be discussing the first episode of season four, Crichton Kicks. Let's get started. Welcome back. The episode picks up some time later after the season three close. John has been stuck on a dying leviathan, growing a massive beard, and decrypting wormholes. When Sokozu, a leviathan specialist, shows up with a team of hunters wanting to strip the dying leviathan of its tubes, John is dragged back into reality, kicking and screaming. This is such a fun season opener, and it feels like a classic Farscape episode to me, even though we only have about half of the cast showing up. So it's a classic save the ship, meet a new friend, and John is un poco loco throughout this episode, and it's just a lot of fun, you know what I mean? And we meet my new favorite DRD, and I think a favorite DRD of a lot of people out there, 1812. It's a DRD that John has painted blue, white, and red. And it's basically John's puppy who keeps him company by playing the finale of the 1812 Overture a lot. And it's great. You know, the one with the cannons booming. So, yeah, that's a favorite piece of music of mine, too. I agree. This episode is a lot of fun as a season opener. It's a lot lighter than our past few season openers have been. Like, it definitely feels like one of those middle of the season episodes with, like, fairly low stakes, you know, yeah, technically they're going to be, they're stuck on this dying Leviathan, but really they're kind of... they die if they don't get off of her. <laughs> yeah, they like, but it's kind of one of those situations of like, well, they die if they stay on her and they yeah. die if these guys take the stuff. So the True. reason they're like inhibiting the guys from taking the stuff is essentially because they just don't like the idea of somebody killing a, li- a living Leviathan. Okay, let's clarify here. This is all John's decision at first. John is the one who's by himself, happily having his existence. He's got his giant man beard on and is very fuzzy. I I think it looks a lot better than his beard in, what, the first season? Mm -hmm. Uh, Jeremiah Crichton? Because I think his, you know, the rest of his hair is a little bit more flyaway, too. Anyway, he's wearing this, like, white smock thing because he's painting everywhere because paint is the only way that he can write down his wormhole equations. And they're literally everywhere around the ship, like on the walls, on the doors, on the crates in the maintenance bay. And so when Sokozu arrives, who is this alien chick with red hair, she crashes through his stuff, basically, messes with his his Zen thing going on where he slowly goes crazy on this dying Leviathan while he's stuck, nowhere to go, no fuel on the module. And he's just so mad at her and he's pissed off at her. And he is the one who's like, okay, we're going to save the ship because I'm friends with the ship and the pilot and I don't want her to die. And then Sokozu was like, well, I brought them, the hunters here just because she's already dying. Isn't that very ethical of me? And Crane's like, no. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely like one of those episodes that really plays with morality in a very Star Trek way of like morality is kind of relative, you know, mm-hmm. because they, that's true. They It's not like they're going out and they're harvesting Moya, who's got, you know, probably hundreds of years of life ahead of her. Yeah. They're harvesting this Leviathan who's at the end of her life and is literally just hanging out in the sacred space because she and her pilot promised each other this is where they were going to die, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
And so I think it's interesting about Sakozu because you mentioned she's got red hair. And I think that I won't say that Sakozu is a misstep because I don't really think Farscape does like major missteps um, in its entire, I don't think it does it in its entire run really. But I do think that Sakozu is very similar to Jewel in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like they're like, well, what if we did Jewel, but instead of being annoying, she's just really smart and annoying a little bit, you know? <laughs> Jewel's really smart, too. I'm going to stand up for Jewel here. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I don't, <laughs> and that's why I said, like, and only a little annoying, because Jewel is, like, very smart. I, I don't know. It just felt like Jewel 2.0 to me the first time, and even mm-hmm. more so the second time. Except in my mm-hmm. notes this time around, I was like, you know, I never warmed up to Sakozu. Like, at least Jewel this time around, I'm like... I'm fond of her by the end of the season. Yeah, well, I think that also speaks to the very different arcs that Jewel has throughout season three as we get to know her and how she relates to the crew and becomes a part of the crew. You know, she's friends with with, uh, Dargo, she's friends with Chiana. Whereas Sokoza's arc, as you should watch out for throughout this season, is a very different arc where, where her relationship to the crew is. She never fully joins the crew in the same way that Jewel does. Mm -hmm. But I do like her as an additional... I don't know if I necessarily needed her as her incarnation, but I do like the introduction of a new character. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just like it when Sparscape kind of acknowledges that, hey, there's this group of core people flying around and they meet other people and sometimes those other people stick around for a while. I just kind of like that sensibility that the show has about these new characters. And it's always fun to kind of rag on the new person, right? Yeah. Like... <laughs> you see it with with everybody in the beginning. So one of the things that they do with Sokozu that I do think is interesting is they actually do try and make her even more alien. Mm-hmm. And for instance, when she first meets John in the maintenance bay, she's her ship has crashed into it. He's drinking wine, and she's like, "I need you to talk because my brain can't process uh, or handle translator microbes. So I need to learn your alphabet. I need to learn your words so that I could actually understand you. And meanwhile, John can understand her because he obviously has the microbes. And also, side note, I don't think her knowing the English alphabet is going to help her whatsoever, but that's just, you know, side point about learning languages. (laughs) I need to make that more of a than a side point. The linguist in me, which was my minor in college, so maybe that's just me, and then something that I do now professionally is teach people how to speak English, is that I'm like, nope, nope, this is fail Bodhi on so many levels. I'm like, speaking, like, there was actually, it wouldn't have bugged me so much if they'd been like, I have a babblefish in my ear instead of translator microbes. So I need you to speak a lot so that you're thinking and my babblefish can then understand your thought process and whatever. Like if they'd done something hand wavy like that. But what actually legit bugged me is he starts naming random nouns, which I'm like, okay, that's helpful if then you're going to speak exclusively using nouns. And then she goes Mm -hmm. and then he starts talking to her in like phrases and she goes, no, I need complete sentences. And I'm like, lady... If you are just learning his language, how on earth do you know that that is not a complete sentence? Do you know what I mean? Like, and that was the part that was really frustrating mm-hmm. to me is that I'm like, if you are legit just, I okay, this is one of the things that I think Arrival did really, really, really well. And I don't want to get into mm-hmm. my love of that movie because it's fabulous. That movie is amazing. Amazing. And Amy Adams is like, Amy Adams deserves all of the Oscars. Okay. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm just saying that, no, everything about this scene bugged me, and I wish they had just found a different way of hand-waving it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
Oh yeah, totally. I definitely agree with that. Having learned another language myself, it's just like the other thing with that is is English is not our sounds are not the alphabet. Like our sounds are like all over the place. The alphabet helps you read; it doesn't help you speak at、mm-hmm. all because our language is really you know beats other languages over the head and steals their vocabulary.、Mm-hmm. So it's really. <laughs> Really hard to learn sometimes. I mean, like the the letter C alone makes like three <laughs> separate sounds. So I'm kind of like, no. <laughs> right. Anyway. Okay, anyway, long long tangent. Getting back on track here. So John and Sukozu are now partners because Sukozu is working for the hunters. Except now that she has gotten herself into a corner where she's led them to where. A really good hunting spot, and they want to protect it. And the way they want to protect it is by clearing up the loose ends, which means killing Sukozu. So, so she and John are now partners, quote unquote partners. I'm making air quotes as I say this because John has this great habit of not doing what she says. <laughs> He is really pissed at her and doesn't want to cooperate. And when she says, you know, just let them harvest the tubers, let them go, and the And John is like, no, we're going to fight to protect this dying leviathan because it's what I do, and I'm not going to let it go. And to typify their exchange, I have pulled a quote. I know you're all shocked. It's early on in the episode when John and Sukozu are up with the pilots then on that walkway, looking at the neural clusters, which is where the tubes are that they are that the bad、mm-hmm. guys are harvesting. Can we negotiate with these guys? That is not their way. Crudex, my ass! It's time for a show of force. If we had any. No, I won't. Haruk. You didn't get that one, did you? Because it's Klingon. Time for you guys to clear out. There is no quarrel with you. Remain clear, and you may live. Oh no, no, not if you destroy my ship. Flee then. I award safe passage. Huh? You know what? Flip that around. You got sixty miles. It's a show of force. It's the only thing that Klingons understand. Nathan, think you're dead? Okay, Spudnik. No. You missed. <laughs> oh, John! What if you kill my ship? <laughs> <laughs> so, how much would John Crichton be loving this—the new Discovery,、uh, Star Trek Discovery TV show with all the Klingons? <laughs> I think a lot. I also want to point out that it's interesting—the use of the 1812 overture, and then the bad guys in this are speaking in a Russian accent. I hadn't really picked up on that. Yeah. Okay. But that makes no sense within the context of the 1812 overture. Can I go into my 1812 overture rant right now? Yeah, go ahead. Or not rant? It's not a rant. I love the 1812 overture. I played it in ninth grade. It was amazing. We played it again in high school. It was even better because we had the full symphony. Anyway, amazing piece of music, Tchaikovsky. Listen to it. It's on YouTube. So the story of the 1812 overture. It was written by a Russian composer, Tchaikovsky, and it's about the Napoleonic Wars and the French invading Russia. So the victors and what they're celebrating at the end of that piece, with the cannons blaring and everything, is the Russian victory over the French. 
So even though the bad guys, as you say, which I hadn't picked up on, have a Russian accent, they are actually the French in this scenario. And John is the Russians. <laughs> John and the crew, on the, they're the ones who are going to be end up victorious. Spoilers, they win. Victorious against the invaders who are coming into their territory. So I don't know what that means about about John Crichton being Russian, but there's also, I think, a larger metaphor for season four, and maybe I'll bring it back up as we continue through the season, because the Russians, when they were turning back Napoleon, did like a scorched earth, like they destroyed their own homes so that the French would not have anywhere to quarter their soldiers or any food to eat, and I don't know, just that kind of theme resonates with what happens later on in the season. Mm-hmm. And that's my mini 1812 Overture rant. And you can actually hear the theme underlying a lot of the other scenes throughout the episode as well. Mm-hmm. I like, I'm sorry, I just love your 1812 Overture and season four thing, which I've heard before. And so like, I can't wait for like listeners to also hear it as we progress through the season. Yes, we'll definitely have to make sure we, we talk about it again. Uh, so anyway, so John and Sokozu kind of try and do like a little bit of guerrilla campaigning against the Grudex, but instead what ends up happening is Chiana and Rigel show up. Better than that, they're like setting up an ambush and John is like, be quiet. And Sokozu is quiet. And then Chiana comes up on the comms and it's John who's basically has a cell phone ringing during <laughs> this attempted ambush. And of course they're found out and whatever. And then there's like this dog beast that's released and Sokozu loses her hand. And anyway, that's kind of all the context for when Rigel and Chiana show up and John's facial expressions during like everything going wrong are just priceless. He's just like, sitting there slumped over with his hand on his face going like, why is this my life? That is literally what his face is saying. Mm-hmm. So Chiana and Rigel are back, but they're not really happy about being back. And also I'm not a hundred percent why they came back here, given that as far as I know, nobody would have been here, but anyway, they're, they're here. So let's play John trying to figure out why Chiana is so mad at him. If psychos will let these lids not to board then why are we keeping her alive? Help cut her some slack. She just had her hand ripped off. And you haven't seen Moya? I told you, Sparky, she got swallowed. Well, our pod's not going anywhere. We were lucky to get this far. Chan. What the hell's the matter with you? With me? Yeah, you. What's the matter with me? You. Hey, Raj, how about you tell Crichton what's the matter with me? Why are you shaving now? You're, what's the matter with me, Crichton? You. Always. You. Mm. An unprecedented reward is offered for information leading to the dead or alive price of five million currency pledges rests on the Navari Chiana, who was last seen. They're everywhere. In every bar, every port, every ship that can fly. Hey. We didn't know where to go, but here. And all because of you. I'm worth seven million. That's frilling with a <laughs> Why are you shaving now? I finally figured out wormholes. I just want to point out that Rigel is like, I'm worth 700 million. And it just warms my soul. <laughs> I love that he's like, that's what's messing with her head, is that I'm worth more. <laughs> <laughs> oh man 
I have to point out that like blaming Crichton for this one actually isn't that valid because Grace's whole thing with the Moya crew isn't even about John specifically. It's literally about the fact that they are escaped PK prisoners who have been thumbing their noses at the peacekeepers all across the uncharted territories. And they've basically become this legend that is inspiring more people to defy peacekeeper rule. And so for her, it's insurrection suppression, mm-hmm. right? You know, she just wants to shut down this, basically this taint against the peacekeeper high command that they can't control this rogue group of people. How could they ex- be expected to control, you know, all the planets and stuff and fight the Scarens? And they basically have a PR problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this one, I'm actually, this one actually isn't really John's fault. <laughs> no it isn't and i like that the other thing that it reminds you of world building wise is like this is the context of the of the new season Mm -hmm. right scorpius is no longer an issue because they blew up his command carrier Mm -hmm. instead it's greza who is the new big bad who is going to be offering rewards going to be hunting them down going to be searching for them and making Mm -hmm. making their lives miserable and hence you know chiana and rigel who tried to go off on their own ways and find the nabari resistance and find the hynerian homeworld they cannot catch a break and it is driving chiana nuts and she's just jittery all over the place and they've had a really rough time of it. Mm-hmm. And we'll hear a little bit more about that in the next clip. And you can hear that within this clip also, because she goes from, you're what's wrong with me, John Crichton, to like then kissing him hello, you know, as kind of being like, I'm mad, but not that mad, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, because they're still family, you know, and he's still basically her older brother now. And he, he is, she is still basically his little sister. They have that dynamic going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bit more sexual overtone than you would have in a normal brother-sister relationship Mm -hmm. but they both know it's platonic ultimately yeah well and i really like the relationship oh chiana and john are like my fave (laughs) um yeah definitely kind of that dynamic of like hey i missed you but now we're still trapped together you know (laughs) which is uh, the irony because at the end of season three kind of the message is we're free you know, mm-hmm. no more Scorpius, no more hunting us, no more, no more. And then the reality is, ah, you guys got too big for the, you know, peacekeepers to handle your PR. You know, if maybe if you guys hadn't robbed, a, you know, hadn't <laughs> robbed a shadow depository and hadn't blown up a gamut base and, you know. And a command carrier, carrier. ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, yeah, their reputation has kind of bit them in the butt. And uh, and that's what we're seeing in this scene. I also I also love how the, John is shaving off his beard, and everyone keeps asking, "Why are you shaving now?" And he never answers. He's just like, "Yeah, I found wor- I figured out wormholes because mm-hmm. that's basically what he spent the last sometime later time doing." And then he goes on to talk a little bit about you know if I actually have points of reference, then I could do something with it in a wormhole network, uh, then I could do something with it, but he has none of those at the moment. Mm-hmm. So he's just, he's basically been doing a info dump from his own brain onto all of ELAC surfaces, but he doesn't have like the hardware or the, you know, the external, external places to go to follow through with it yet. Mm-hmm. And instead they have to get rid of the hunters. Yep. And actually, John picks up pretty quickly that Chiana, while being angry about having a bounty on her head, which she only had on the Nabari side before, she's never had a PK bounty on her head, he picks up that there's something else going on. So I want to play that clip as well. All right. Let's talk about it. Whatever it is. You know, the 
those visions I was having. Yeah. Yeah, when they evolved. Into what? There's a... There's a cheat-proof game at the, the casinos. A, a mercury droplet it bounces off an ion stream. And then there's a thousand different outcomes. You won. Seven times in a row. They arrested me, they took my winnings, they... They had a little fun and, and a little torture, nothing, nothing new. On the upside, you're not crazy. You see the future. That's what's so weird, I... I see the present. Only it's just all... It's, it slows down. So what's the bad? Blinding headaches afterwards. It's, it's like my eyes, they, they get all used up and I, I can't see. And, uh, and, and each time it happens, it, it lasts longer. We get out of here, we find someone to fix it. Before then, we gotta find a way to screw the pooch. Now I'm gonna need a rope, a rabbit, and a membrane. Ropes are mine. The rest is yours. Aww. See, this is why I love their relationship so much. They're, the two of them are off on their own hunting down this dog that's hunting them that the hunters have released. And and Gianna's jittery. She doesn't want to talk to John. She's being rude. And at the beginning, she's just all fussy and, and you know violent and pushing on him. And you know he's like, okay, we're going to get to the bottom of this. And you know you can hear at the beginning of that clip, she's still fighting against him and struggling and angry. But then once she finally admits that it's the visions that are, are driving her are part of this problem, you know, she quiets down. And mm -hmm. then at the end, it's just the two of them talking it out. And, and she can tell John and he responds with like, yeah, that sucks. You know, let's fix it. And I just really love that there's there's that trust between them because she doesn't fight him for that long on it. You know, there's no dissembling. There's no drawn out thing where it's revealed at the end of the episode. It all goes down right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause they're friends. They're siblings. This is what they do, you know? And she, she mm -hmm. clearly wants to tell him also, you know? Yeah. There's like a part of her yeah. that's like really clearly just like wanting to let him know. Cause he's her, he's one of her people, you know, he's her person. You know, mm -hmm. and yeah, I, I have to point this out that like again with like Chiana and the casual nature that they just throw in rape, like her rape. You know, yeah. Well, it's not explicit, but yeah, that's the underlying subtext I read from it from it too. And it's, you know, is it? How do you read a show from the late '90s on this when that stuff was always handled this way poorly? And then how do you? also think about it in universe where it's something that has happened to her before probably mm -hmm. will happen to her again kind of thing yeah that's part of her life you know and part of the the rough world that they live in yeah and so. i'm not like i'm not really complaining that that's how they handled it because i think that it's a hundred percent in character to me that chiana herself would be very dismissive of this because you know clearly she's used to using sex for non-emotional purposes you know but at the same time, I don't know, it just made me kind of bummed out. And then I also have to say, Chiana, why seven times? Stop <laughs> at one, go somewhere else, you know? And do it there, yeah. Maybe why seven times, though, is because in season three, 
when she's had these visions, they've kind of been little footnotes, right? She's been like saying a weird sentence that no one else has really understood what it means. Like, you know, you know, don't want your have these goggles on when you get punched in the face, John from scratch and sniff. Mm-hmm. And then he gets punched in the face. And so it's, and then at the end when she's seeing Talon shoot, um, shoot, I think the hospital ship mm-hmm. and is upset about that. And no one quite gets what's going on with it for a while. And there's that little bit of Chiana doubting herself. And this scene really sets up for season four explicitly that, okay, she's figured out what's going on. She won at this unwinnable game seven times in a row. It wasn't some weird, freaky thing. It was something that she can do. Chiana has superpowers. Mm -hmm. And they are not going so well. Yeah. So... I I think that that's really what this scene for the season and for Chiana's character arc going forward because it's now a major part of of her future growth. It's learning how to deal with these visions and what they mean and for her and her place with the crew. Mm-hmm. And it's really sets that up nicely. Mm-hmm. So they have this plan to get rid of the dog and then they're like once we get rid of the dog then we can deal with the the miners <laughs> and Eventually, they end up doing it. They have, like, this whole thing with, like, where John has, like, a membrane over one of the open hatches, and then the dog, like, jumps on the membrane after jumping around it several times, and, like... Yeah, the the plan doesn't quite go to plan immediately. Rigel is the rabbit that mentioned in that last clip <laughs> where he's the bait, and when John tells him, Rigel is like, no, no, we're not doing this. Oh, fine, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And we get a couple other um, kind of character moments in this middle section of the epi- of the episode uh, where they're dealing with the dog. One of the things you see early on is John in his head with Harvey in a fantastic Hawaiian shirt, and and you know it's a bikini beach, and uh, and Aaron is there, and Aaron is pregnant. And then we have another scene in the middle, which I want to play next because it really kind of speaks to where John's head is mm-hmm. throughout this episode while he's alone. He's imagining seeing Aaron and being pregnant with their child, potentially. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's been thinking about, that and wormholes. Mm-hmm. So here's the, the scene in John's head with his imaginary Aaron. <laughs> there it is. That's a great kick. Boy. Yeah, girls do kick harder. Uh, maybe it's not mine at all. <laughs> Just won't let that rest, will you? Uh, maybe it's got a little ponytail and a teeny tiny goatee. Maybe. Maybe it has half a metal face on it. Maybe. Maybe it's a royal pain in the ass, seats all the time, and farts a lot. Then we'll know it's yours. <sighs> uh, that's a great kick. Yeah, so he's got all these... This whole fantasy about Aaron being pregnant and... There's a lot of insecurity wrapped up in it. Mm-hmm. You know, he lists every other male person that was on Talon. Maybe it was one of their kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like maybe so, that's why she ran away is because it wasn't his to begin with. And yeah. then I also want to do want to mention the first clip we have is, you know, they're at this beach and she's, you know, looking over her shoulder and you know, she's, you know, in this real sexy bikini and then she turns over and she's like super pregnant, like 10 months pregnant, pregnant. And, um, and you know, he comes over and she looks at him and she's like, you know, we weren't right for each other. Right. She's like, you know, that I was just the best choice 
in among like limited choices. And that's why we're, we were together. And it's this kind of moment where on the one hand, that is kind of true. <laughs> like <laughs> that is why they were, you know, not like, I mean, you know, listeners, you, close proximity did a lot. Yeah. Like I'm a hard, hard, hardcore John Aaron shipper, but <laughs> you know, he had limited choices and he fell for Aaron, you know, and so that's mm-hmm. kind of his insecurity talking of like him trying to come up with an explanation, him trying to give himself an out that he know he just doesn't have because they are in love with each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point because, you know, they had such a bitter ending and it's not like bitter ending, but like a hard ending at the end of season three where they're both desperately in love with each other, but Aaron cannot be with him at the moment because she's still grieving. She's still going through a lot of stuff. And John can't handle not being around her. And I think it comes up in a, a subsequent conversation. I think it's immediately after this, this scene in John's head where he's actually talking with Rigel about that. So I'm going to play that one real quick. <sighs> still obsessed, I see. I'm not obsessed. Did she say anything to you before she left? Goodbye, good luck, good riddance. <laughs> That's what you said, and I'm not obsessed. Oh, wormholes, Aaron, Earth, Aaron, Scorpius, Aaron. <laughs> I'm out of fingers. Want me to keep counting on hers? Aaron. Did she say anything to you before she left? Oh. Crichton, for once, listen. When a woman, whether she's your wife, your lover, or a slave you purchased to be your wife or lover, leaves you repeatedly, take the hint. Well, that was the plan, but you know how my plans go. I love that. Or a slave you've purchased <laughs> to be your wife or lover. <laughs> oh, Rigel, never change. He gets like the best lines. And it says so much about him. And it's just fantastic. But he's not wrong. No. You know, John is completely obsessed and has been. Yeah. I think that Rigel pointing out that this is not the first time that Aaron has left. On some level, no matter how much they love each other, there does need to be a message in the fact that she keeps repeatedly leaving him, you know? Mm -hmm. And of course there isn't because this is John and Aaron and they're going to be together forever and she's pregnant with his baby and, you know, like there's a lot (laughs) going on there. But I do think that it, it does bear importance that, you know, Rigel makes a pretty valid point and it's a point that John has been trying really hard to make to himself You know, Mm -hmm. like in all of these imaginary Aaron situations, it really is fundamentally about him trying to tell himself Aaron left for a reason. Maybe it wasn't his baby. Maybe they weren't right for each other. Maybe she realized that, you know, or maybe she felt like she was just the best choice in a bad situation. You know, like he's trying to come up with all of these reasons why she might have left him and why he has to be okay with that. Why he has Mm -hmm. to be okay with her leaving. And he just can't, you know. Yeah, because it is an actually important thing to do as a human being or, you know, a person respecting another sentient person is they don't want to see see you. They don't want to be with you. They say, no, you stop. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can it's all those things you just listed. That's him trying to stop. And I love that little note at the end where he's like, that was the plan. 
That was what I was trying to do. I've been trying to obsess over wormholes in substitution for it. It's not really working that well Mm -hmm. because as we know, John's plans are crap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't think his actual planning part is crap. It just speaks to the emotional depth that depths that he is in in terms of Aaron and his love for her and their relationship and what it means to him you know Mm -hmm. that that is something that is very 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 difficult to get over and that's something he has to work through some way or another Mm -hmm. shall we say yeah and by the way uh the hand that uh when Rigel says should I keep counting on hers he's actually holding Sukozo's hand and just her hand because the dog bit it off and she can reattach it so Rigel was sent to go get it because apparently John's little line for it was severed head severed hands it's a motif which (laughs) was a kind of quick little line that I liked so he's holding Sukozu's hand so meanwhile Chiana and Sukozu or Chiana finds Sokozu trading with one of the Grudeks and she immediately shoots the Grudek and then Sokozu gets really mad because it turned out Sokozu was trading him the keys to his car and in it, he was going to leave the car behind after they'd finished mining and then and then all of them. But since she was being so sneaky about it, I think maybe it probably would have just been her. <laughs> yeah, she's not exactly a team player right now. Yeah, would have had an escape route and she gets real mad at Chiana and I'm kind of like... This is what comes from keeping secrets. And to be honest, this is why mm-hmm. I really like that Farscape season three was essentially like no secrets. Like, you know, if season <laughs> two was like secrets and lies. This is like, whatever, no secrets for anybody. <laughs> but that's the joy of having a new character who doesn't play well with others. Like the rest of the crew have learned that. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is a new person. She's not a part of the crew. We don't know her. They don't know her. And she cannot be trusted because clearly she's going behind their back. And mm-hmm. as we know, Chiana is also super annoyed, super paranoid, and super pissed off at the world right now, or mm-hmm. the universe, rather. And yeah, she's like, any excuse to shoot somebody. I could see that. Yeah. Later on, when Chiana and Sokozu are forced to work together, they're fighting. And it really reminded me so much of her and Jewel at the beginning of season three. You know, mm-hmm. the other thing we learned about Sokozu in this scene is that the money she was using to trade uh, for the keys to the car is Scaran currency. And, you know, Chiana is all suspicious about this. And John, who is holding Chiana back from ripping Sokozu to shreds, they ask her about it. And she's like, well, you guys are all from Peacekeeper territory. I grew up in Scaran territory. Of course, I use Scaran money. She is of a race called the Kalish. And they don't like the Scarans, but... They live in Scaran territory, them's the breaks. Mm-hmm. So that's what we learned about her. And so, you know, in addition to the whole language thing and the regenerating hand thing, so she can put her hand back on and she gets it from Rigel and mm-hmm. it reattaches. And, oh, the other thing I don't think we've mentioned yet, she can also move her center of gravity and, like, stand on the ceiling and stuff. It's really weird. Which, again, <laughs> is not how centers of gravities work, but hand wave. Hand wave. That one I'll forgive, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not quite as stupid as the learning languages thing. I love how your thing isn't, like, you're a scientist, and your thing isn't even, like, my problem is that that's not how physics works. Your problem is, like, both of our major problem is, like, that's not how learning a language works. <laughs> okay, but see, the difference is doing the language thing right would have been not hard. And mm-hmm. doing the physics right, whatever. Aliens, science, we've already discussed how magic on and science are basically the same thing on Farscape, right? Mm-hmm. So 
I can hand wave the physics a lot more easily than I can hand wave the language. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think this is what bugs me about the language. (laughs) Sci-fi shows in the past have done this really, really, really well. The whole learning language thing. I'm thinking specifically of Star Trek Next Generation, where you have that that Darmok episode where it's like Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra, you know, and it's like two people trying to learn a language together. And you see how complicated it is, especially when... They don't have the same grammatical or syntactical structures, you know? Mm -hmm. And so my whole thing with Sokozu and the language learning is I'm like, I literally would have no problem if they did some hand wave, you know, like I'm slightly telepathic, you know, and I learn languages. If you talk a lot and you think accessing the language center of your brain and then I can access the language center of your brain, you know, if they did something like that. But it's just this and like, no, nothing about this is okay. yeah agreed agreed and so it's like things like that that's a little bit that could have been so much more easily hand waved than the shifting centers of gravity thing with you know walking on the ceilings and walls and stuff so they have now a new plan because of course Sokozo is like we need what is your plan and so the new plan is they go to the den and John goes up to the top and he uses the rope that Chiana so helpfully found and drops it down to Chiana, who's standing at the bottom. And as you recall from the episode in season three, Revenging Angel, when Dargo lost his qualta blade down in the muck, which is all like all the bat poop, or I don't remember what kind of bats exactly, but the bat poop at the bottom of the den. So that's where Chiana is standing. And so they're going to do a counterweight thing. And John's going to jump down and Chiana's going to fly up and she's going to use her vision powers to see what or, what where the, the wires and connections are because they can blow up the equipment that the hunters have brought to in a special order to cause lots of explosions. Mm-hmm. So... So they go and they do it. John goes down. Chiana goes up. We get this really cool slow-mo stuff. We got the camera zooming into the important stuff that I still can't remember what it is. And she goes up to the top and where Sukozu is supposed to catch her with her hand that has just been attached to her body. <laughs> well, Chiana go cannot well. see. <laughs> well, Chiana is completely blind. So there's this, this crazy little spinning, spinningness going along and Chiana grabs the hand that was recently reattached and of course the hand falls off and then Sukozu reaching for her hand now that Chiana has her stump and then instead of getting Chiana off and the bucket of bolts on it's basically Sukozu and Chiana go down to pull John up who, and in this time period Sukozu has told him, told him what order to shoot things in and so he shoots things you have the 1812 overture blazing 1812 the DRD is supposed to provide covering fire but he's really old so he can't you have the bad guys shooting at John and as he goes up and Chiana and Sukozu go down and the, the two two women land with a thud mm-hmm. and the rope starts to snap at the top and John's going to fall. And meanwhile, you have Rigel who is saying, <laughs> dread, dread, dread. He's hanging out on pilot's level about halfway up. And so then John falls and says, Rigel, catch me. And Rigel's going, I'm going to come catch you. And he misses. <laughs> it's so funny because then he's like, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> and like perfect Rigel deadpan. It's brilliant. Oh, and so anyway... John falls in the muck. He's fine because, you know, falling from that height wouldn't kill him. See, that's the kind of physics that bothers me a little bit. He should have been more hurt by falling into a body of water from that height than he was. Well, especially, yeah, like (laughs) not only a body of water, but a relatively shallow body of water. Because, like, what's her name? Jewel had been, like, walking around in that. And it was basically, like, knee height, you know? Yeah, we're talking, like, Olympic diving levels of height 
or twice that into a pool. Anyway, so so yeah, center of gravity, no problem. <laughs> Real physics into a pool, <laughs> not so much. But glad we have our priorities straight. <laughs> Sean survives, and the lead bad guy is dead. And yay, they save the ship that's dying. Yep. <laughs> and then the ship decides that now that it has all of this crew, I guess it was okay dying when it was just John there. And, you know, they were mm-hmm. very apologetic about it, but they're kind of like, no, we're, we're dying here. But now that they have almost a full contingent of crew, they decide <laughs> to go and drop them somewhere where not all of them will die. Yeah, and so they're going to a place where they think others of Moya's crew have gone to. And I'm going to play that last scene because it's a really nice conversation between between John and the pilot. And you can tell they've had this relationship that's built. I mean, they've had several conversations throughout, but it's just the, it's just really touching. Um, it does start with John talking to Sukozo, though. All right, here's the thing. Uh, you might not want to come with us. We are not the best traveling companions. I am going to get my life back. I will not end up like you. Okay. I hate that you're doing this. The returning Rudex ship would have destroyed us if we hadn't left the sacred space. And we would like to repay our debt before we pass. You don't owe us anything. Nevertheless, if we are able, you shall arrive at the planet where you think your friends may be. It was your dream. Yours and Elak's to die there. No dream is guaranteed, Commander. The grace of age is we learn to accept. I love that, because that seems to be the message that John takes away, is that no dream is guaranteed and that we learn to accept, you know? And Mm -hmm. because he's had this dream of him and Aaron and the kid, and he dealt with it a lot last season at the very end when he was having... All those earth fantasies of, you know, going home and, you know, Aaron fitting in at home and getting married and all that. It seems like when he's talking to the pilot, he essentially realizes for the first time that no dream is guaranteed, that he just needs to let it go. And he needs to accept gracefully that it will probably not happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I really like about that conversation, too, because it's a it feels like a real life lesson that has been earned and learned by this pilot and her ship and that she is now in her deathbed basically passing along and she's okay with that you know things didn't turn out the way she thought they would I mean that's in the entirety of John Crichton's story right Mm -hmm. nothing has gone the way he thought it would you know he thought he was going to do a science experiment he went through a wormhole and ended up in the far end of the universe he thought he could talk to these aliens and be heard and everything would be fine but no he has this crazy guy after him who won't listen to reason and all these people who kind of don't like him at first Mm -hmm. and you know everything that happens he becomes a prisoner you know he gets tortured he goes through all this trauma and everything has a consequence that Hugh doesn't expect and often they are not fun consequences Mm -hmm. up to and including the woman he loves Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the woman he loves leaving him with his child and, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. that This kind of was the moral for me. And I think that this is one of the reasons I really liked this episode, you know, was that yeah. that was kind of the note it ended on, was them saving her, but she's still dying. And then she decides to save them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's it's really sweet and touching between the two of them too, the pilot and uh and john because he has made this connection and he we've always said like he is really good at making connections with others i mean that's his survival strategy that's who he is as a person and it pays off here because the pilot is going to go through that extra effort and get them to a planet where they can survive and where mm-hmm. they have might have friends yeah the scene following this is back in john's head i believe mm-hmm. and Erin is on the beach in her bikini still, but her pregnant belly is gone. And John says, I'm not going to come see you anymore. You know, I've got to let you go. So that's him, you know, taking the pilot's advice and letting the dream of Erin go because it makes him sad, he says. And it's like, yeah, I could see that, Mm -hmm. you know. It felt a lot almost like Erin letting go at the end of the choice, you know, mm-hmm. of kind of just like the letting go of the fantasy, the letting go of the fiction and the acceptance of reality. Yeah, for sure. And w- while they're talking, bring it back to Sukozu for a second. Um, she's listening. She's in the den with them and she's listening to them. And you could hear at the beginning of that quote, I'm going to get my life back. One quote we didn't didn't play is that she got caught at one point and was conniving with the lead of the hunters because, you know, She's trying to get away off the ship. Mm-hmm. But John and Shiana capture her and basically force her to choose a side. They're like, you either got to be with us or against us. You have to help us out. They're going to ditch you. They play her recording. They intercepted. And she's like, no, that's not fair. My life was supposed to be this way, and now it's not. And now I'm stuck with you guys. And she doesn't want to have her only options being to join them, basically. Mm-hmm. Or her them tying her up so she won't cause trouble so you know she's going to be going through this too of she is the new person to boya who has now just lost everything and that has to find her feet Mm -hmm. going forward as well yeah yeah so on wardrobe watch john is pretty much the one that was wearing a you know an artist's smock for a portion of the episode and he had crazy hair for a while and then we have sakozu who's wearing um, red because she's kind of red hued so it makes sense and I think everybody else mm-hmm. is in their same costumes right yep and then Shiana has bruises on her face that you can still see from when she got beat up mm-hmm. and but otherwise she and Rigel are still in the costumes they were in in season three so Chiana's is that kind of it's not the modeled one but the kind of silvery stripey mm-hmm. stripey outfit and then we have Miss Pilot being played by Pilot mm-hmm. and Elac being played by Moya because I like saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. There's no way they could afford to build two pilot puppets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. But they do really good with the voice and with the puppetry here because I, mean, I honestly mm-hmm. never once thought like, oh, that's Pilot. I literally was always like, huh, that is a different pilot, you know, looked entirely yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you give this episode? I like this episode. I give it a four. I think it's a very solid season opener. I think it's a solid episode overall. We get a new character. We get a lot of fun one-liners. We get Rigel being amazing. We get some depth with Chiana. We hit the emotional highlights, and I think it sets up the season pretty well. 
Yeah, I'll go with you. I, I would say like a 3.5 maybe for me, be just because it's like a very mellow episode. It felt really solid. Writing was real solid. Character stuff was real good, but um, it wasn't as meaty as some of the previous season openers we've had, but that was okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a real rough ending to season three, so I can do with some casualness. Yeah, and also I think the difference is that the opener to season two was you know right after they had just exploded the gamut base you know Mm -hmm. and it's just like it felt really immediate after what happened there and the opening to season three is exact same thing it just happened right after what happened in season two so this one time has passed there's a time jump and Mm -hmm. i think that's actually lets the episode open up a little bit and breathe a little bit and kind of set its own tone that's not wrapping up the previous season but really pushing this new one forward Mm -hmm. yeah because this season is going to be a lot different people Mm-hmm. So next week, what do we have? Next week, we have What Was Lost? Part 1, Sacrifice. So I think I remember this one, and I think it was good. <laughs> I so. do not remember it, so it will be a surprise to me. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. So we are back. We are now doing season four. We're in the home stretch. Mm-hmm. Almost there, people. All right. We are Farscape Friday podcast at gmail tumblr and dreamwith.com we are farscape friday on twitter feel free to hit us up in any of those places and we will respond and we will see you next time 